tapping. Are you recording? And I'm recording. Okay, well, I was going to say, Chris, don't make the mistakes I've made, either in life or podcasting. There, there must be only two. Well, three. <laughs> I'll get to a podcasting mistake once we get into the viewer mail portion. Oh. After you do your intro. Uh, okay. Which We're- I will say I did take some heat for criticizing your intro online. No kidding. You have a lot of defenders. I was going to say, I've never had a defender before. You've got, yeah, you've got at least one. You have some detractors too, but you do have at least oh, one well, defender. So. Yeah, that I'm used to. Uh, okay. Casting crew, full casting. No. <laughs> uh, you know what? As you started doing that, like joy coursed through my body. I, you know, I, I tried. I couldn't get the rhythm and rhyme scheme down. That's the greatest superhero theme song of all time. It's correct. Yes, absolutely. And did you know the Ramones recorded of it? Of course. In um, nineteen ninety something, I was working at a comic book company, and to go with that Saturday morning uh, cartoon album where a bunch of oh yeah rock people did these uh, cartoon theme songs, they produced a single issue comic. And Matt, that's your cue. I know you want to play a little of that, so let's hear the Ramones do the Spider Man theme. There you go. Wait, who wrote the Spider-Man theme song? Do you know? That I don't know. Okay. Well, we can get to that later. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt Uh, you. Okay, but the actual uh, opening is, okay, here we go. Full Cast and Crew is a podcast where Jason and Chris take a movie and just let it rip. Chris introduces, Jason summarizes, then gives a take, then Chris gives a take, then they use the Full Cast and Crew section of the film as an entrance into the pop culture maelstrom. They agree, disagree, then rant, then rave, and Jason stumps Chris with entertainment news headlines. That's pretty good. That's thorough. It's concise. It includes a lot of different aspects that we do. And it was meant to be, you know, that's the one of the running gags in the in the film that we're dealing with today. Wait, I wasn't actually listening. What? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Want to do it again and I'll pay attention? <laughs> I was looking a, up the Spider-Man theme. There is a lot going on here. This is, I'm sorry. This I'll listen. Do it no, again. Okay. Do it again and I'll listen. Um, Okay, here we go. Full Cast and Crew is a podcast where Jason and Chris take a movie and just let it rip. Chris introduces, Jason summarizes, then gives a take, then Chris gives a take, and then they use the Full Cast and Crew section of the film's IMDb page as an entrance into the pop culture maelstrom. They agree, disagree, then rant, then rave, and Jason stumps Chris with entertainment news headlines. So you're doing a riff on the Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse sort of character setups. Yes. I love it. Um, Just to give you a little background on the Spider-Man theme song, which, Matt, you can also play a little of the classic 1967 theme now. It was written by Paul Francis Webster and Robert Bob Harris. I don't know why Bob has to be in parentheses <laughs> if your name is Robert. Apparently there was a longstanding rumor. I love this. A longstanding rumor claimed that the baseline for the Spider-Man theme was performed by jazz musician Charles Mingus. <laughs> However, this is the most bizarre correction too, by the way. However, Ralph Bakshi confirmed the rumor as being erroneous, stating that Mingus did not perform on the theme. What would Ralph Bakshi have to do with 1967 Spider-Man? He was around doing comics at the time, or who knows? He also, uh, an underground type like him, he probably knew Mingus. I wonder if he had anything to do with Spider-Man in that era. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. I'm Googling Ralph Bakshi Spider-Man. Yeah. Yes, 
Executive producer and animation director, Ralph Bakshi. Did you know that? No. Wow. You know, one of the things that's really cool about animation that Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse taught me, I guess all movies probably are this way, but see if you agree. There are direct connections in people that worked on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse that go back to the very beginning of the comics industry. and yeah. And it's a direct connection. Like, I can't remember what the notation was, but there's a guy who worked on the animation for Spider-Verse who also worked with like the most seminal single cell animation guy. There's a direct connection often with animation projects, it seems, with the history of the medium. It strikes me that one of the great things about animation is the heart and the soul that connects people that love it to it. I was both in the make, both in the making of, and in the cons cons consummation. No, that's uh, not right. Well, you know, people do that made, too. I think you're absolutely right. I think the difference between animation and film in general is, film is just there's just so much more of it. So of course the community is so much bigger. Right. And animation, the people, like you said, the people who love it, the people who make it, it's just a much tighter uh, community. That's my phone ringing, but we'll let that go. I'm sure whatever emergency it whatever is, whatever emergency it is, <laughs> it'll just have to wait because we are here. Recording a podcast. Chris, um, viewer mail, which I've decided I'm not going to call it listener mail anymore. I'm just going to call it viewer mail. That's what it is. Just, okay. Even I if, don't care. Okay. Because when I grew up watching TV on Letterman, it was viewer mail. Right. And yeah. I'm sorry. That's what we get. It's an auditory medium, but there's a visual component, whether you can see it or not. I was about to say, we paint such a vivid picture. That's right. That, uh, that it's like So from this it. point forward, just a couple of comments. Um, at RF Brownwords tweets at the show. Dear at full cast and crew, I love live action movies about or starring dogs. Paradoxically, I hate a dog movie if the dog is depicted as having a human voice. Where do you stand on dog movies, editorially speaking? Uh, I don't have a particularly strong feeling about them as uh, I'm only recently developing my appreciation for dogs in general. There's a movie with Richard Gere called uh, like Hashi, A Dog's yes. Tale, yes. which I didn't see. My sister told me about it, and just because she and her her daughter had watched it, and uh, just the description got me crying. And I happened to mention that to her and saying, like, I remember how much you loved Hashi Adok. She's like, no, it was, it was not good at all. It was super boring. But even still, she was like, I cried at the actual movie, even though I hated it. And the description <laughs> of it made me cry, even though she didn't even particularly love it. Well, then, Chris, maybe you are a dog movie person. So do you have a preference? Does it bother you if the dog is depicted as having a human voice? I don't know if he's talking about that the lips move mm -hmm. or is he just talking about like it's a live action dog movie, but the dog has like an inner voice that it we does hear. The, like look who's talking kind of. Thing. Yeah, I'm not sure what he means. He doesn't want to hear about the inner life of a dog. He wants to see it portrayed in action. You know, a dog movie that I wanted to see that I didn't get to see 2018's White Fang. Did you hear about that at all? No, I, I remember a French existed. animated film. Young boy befriends a half breed wolf as he searches for his father who has mysteriously gone missing during the gold rush. Now, that's a, based on a Jack London book, uh, right? Yes. Uh, were you a Jack London reader Love Jack up? London. Yeah. I recently went through a Jack London phase, I think, as a result of watching the Coen Brothers movie that we uh -huh. had. Mm -hmm. Right, because the All Golds Canyon Correct. was a Jack London-inspired yes. story. To build a fire. Often anthologized, it's about an unnamed protagonist who ventures out into a sub-zero boreal forest of the Yukon, accompanied by his dog, to visit his friends, ignoring warnings from an older man about the dangers of hiking alone. The protagonist underestimates the harsh conditions and slowly begins to freeze to death. After trying and failing to build a fire, he slips into unconsciousness and dies of hypothermia. 
Oh, Spoiler alert. I and do. actually, like Hachi, a dog, like, I feel affected just by that description, short as it was. I think the dog, like, leaves him behind and is like, dude, <laughs> you should have listened to that old man. Anyway, one last piece of viewer mail. Sarah wrote into the program to say the following. WTF, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. Why does my podcast sound fucking ridiculous? WTF, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point. Get it together. Jesus. Chris, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. Who is the sound person? Oh, wait, you gave me a shout out. We are even. (laughs) I I wasn't sure if she was referring to the content or the recording. She's referring to our previous episode, which was... Vice? I guess the Vice episode where I I admittedly, I will fall on my podcasting sword, (laughs) as the Wu-Tang Clan would say, sword. Uh, I was recording the audio for that episode and I failed. But listen, you also caught it before we got too far into it. So, uh, and might I add, not entirely my own defense, I thought it made for a pretty good comic intro to the podcast. So, Sarah, <laughs> yeah, B- she, BTFU, however you say back the F up. I don't know. I'm yeah, just saying, it, it, I thought it worked as a moment. Yeah. The whole thing, I think, edited down was like two minutes. So, she yeah. must have been like fingers over keyboard, ready to hit all of those. Yeah. Uh, she obviously was typing in real time yeah. as the various technical difficulties unfolded. And Look, then- Which is flattering. Um, all right, Chris, we're here to talk, unless you have any other viewer mail. Nope, nope. Um, I didn't know if maybe Daryl had written in and castigated me any further about my comic book. No, no, he, okay. no, he did. I did okay. see him over the weekend. And? You know? And, uh, you know, we, we did talk about it and I was like, oh, you know. He hasn't heard that yet. I don't believe think that episode's been released where no, we, no, no. we read him. It's coming right? out. Coming out? It, to, what day is it today? Tuesday, Monday, six day? It, two days from now, Thursday. Um, yes. But I did tell him, I was like, yeah, we got to your, we got to your thing. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about the brand new film, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I watched this movie and I will say, Chris, it's immediately one of the three best films that I saw in 2018. Wow. I do agree um, with a comment that I saw on a couple reviews. There's a reviewer in Forbes magazine wrote, quote, it is easily the best Spider-Man movie ever made. It is definitely one of the best Marvel movies ever made. And it genuinely might be one of the best superheroes ever made, period. And that is not overselling it, end quote. That's strong praise. Yeah, I know, Chris. You always say that's strong praise. But what do you think? What do I, okay. Now, hold on, hold on. I can already tell where this is going. You're a Spider-Man guy. You've written for Spider-Man. Yes, yes I have. You have Spider-Man cred. And I did not get one nickel from this movie. (laughs) So you probably watch this movie in a completely different way and experience it in a completely different way than I do. I love Steve Ditko. I love that whole style. And this feels very Ditko-esque as a universe. Mm -hmm. But I'm not someone who's going to parse it in the same way. What was your experience of watching the film? Well, I think you diagnosed what uh, the potential problems were. And also it opened, I guess, a month ago, roughly. And people have been talking about it so much and have been heaping such praise on it. So I went in with a little bit of trepidation because the more praise I hear, the more I sort of instinctually want to pull back. Of course. But, um... But no, it is fantastic. I loved it. I enjoyed it. I appreciated it. Even as somebody who, like you said, has written for Spider-Man, got five issues out there. Please track them down, folks. Which issues should people look for? It was called Marvel Adventures Spider-Man, and I did five issues. I think it was 26, 27, 28. 26, 27, 28. 
Let me make it easy. Let me and make, then number 36. Let me make it easy for people. You can do what I did. You can Google Chris Kapiniak Spider-Man. <laughs> and a little handy it. thing comes up. Look I used them. to have a mind okay. like a steel trap. I knew issue numbers. Nobody wants to hear perfectly. the issue numbers, Chris, at the risk of getting Daryl yeah. all over my case again. <laughs> and there's like 17 different lines of Spider-Man well, that, comic books. That's a relatively like, new uh, you know. innovation. But you're right. I went in sort of with a bit of trepidation. I actually do have a bias against animated films. Really? And, yeah, as seeing them as sort of Any? as- or superhero animated films. No, both. Any animated films, you have a bias to It just seems like something different. Putting it against uh, like a great live action film, even somebody like Miyazaki, who's probably uh-huh. considered the greatest animated film. There's something about my experience of it that I just go in, I don't know if it's expecting less or just sort of being able to surrender to it less. Lastly, my, my bias is as much as I love superheroes and Spider-Man specifically, there is something that the the amount of popularity that they have gained and this mm-hmm. having become such a juggernaut of international IP uh, that I also have a little bit of trepidation when I go to see a blockbuster like, like that. Uh, and yet this movie is so well done and so beautiful and has so much going for it in terms of the story, the performances, and particularly the animation and art style. Incredible. That... Um, that I thought it was really amazing. You know, A.O. Scott, in his review for The Times, wrote that, quote, the characters feel liberated by animation and the audience will too. To your point, um, I actually think that animated movies recently have had probably the most creativity in cinema in a certain way. And the most, I guess, heart is what I mean, because the the animated films like Up or Mm -hmm. like this one, I think one of the great accomplishments of Into the Spider-Verse is it's a Marvel movie for people who don't like Marvel movies. But if you're really into Marvel movies and you're really into the character, I can't even imagine the amount of fine-grained detail frame by frame that is there for you. Absolutely. I was reading this one thing where in an early scene in Miles's room when he's doodling, there's a Japanese Spider-Man called Supaida-Man. And he's drawing it on his notebook as he's singing that that Post Malone song in the beginning. Um, So I think for comic book nerds, there's probably a wealth of that kind of like Easter egg and intrinsic detail. But I watched the movie with my wife, who is decidedly not a Marvel movie person, nor am I. I mean, you know me. I'm, I'm like, I'm not into it unless it has something unique or different about it. Um, But the minute I put this movie on, the credits alone. I was like, wow, something visual here that I've never seen before. I've never seen animation that looks like this. I've never been immersed in a world of animation that was so new and rewarding and psychedelic is is used a lot in describing this movie. Um, I subsequently read a little bit about some of the technology choices that they made, which are kind of fascinating. In a bizarre correlation, we talked in the Roma episode about how Quaron um, took away from himself his usual comfort zone in terms of not working with his cinematographer that he always worked with, not showing the script to his two closest script writing collaborators who happen to be two of the other most interesting filmmakers in the world that he would typically show his scripts to in Guillermo del Toro um, and the other guy. Uh, and... Now I'm blanking. Inaritu. He didn't do that. He didn't work with his, he he purposely put himself in a really risky, scary place in order to trust in something that he didn't really know he could trust until mm-hmm. he completed the movie. 
And actually listening to these guys talk about what their decisions were, it's a, it strikes me as a very similarly brave choice that they made to say to themselves, we do not want this to look like any animated movie has ever looked. And we do not want you, the vast army of artists that are going to do the coding and the drawing and the painting or whatever, we don't want you to do things the way you typically would do mm -hmm. them on a movie of this scale either, even though there are a lot of unknowns in that approach. Um, and I think as a result, they came up with something that is completely unique. I've never seen anything look like this movie. Mm -hmm. And the immersiveness and the the combination of the animation and the quality of the voice acting of the fantastic cast and the brilliance of the multiple spider people and the ability to bring in something for everyone as a result. It's just a very smart concept and a whip smart script. Yeah. I mean, from the guys that did the Lego movie. Right. And were fired from Star Wars. <laughs> did you see Solo? Yes. Because I saw... Is, uh, Terrible. I, I, I thought it was fine, you know, it sort of was fine, disposable thing. I thought they ruined Han Solo. Uh, Not these guys, because they no, were no, fired from the it. movie. But in I watching, wanted to see their movie. Watching this, now I'm much more interested in seeing what they're- Oh my God, the king, these guys Han are the Solo kings of been. the one-liner. I yeah. mean, the smart one-liner. We're going to get into later, because I'm going to play the new, new Spider-Man movie trailer as an example of what's wrong with superhero yeah. movies. Uh, but the one-liners in this movie are diamond sharp. Yeah. And look, not only is- uh, are the one-liners themselves sharp, but I think that the the story itself is really well constructed. If you know, if a little, no, not that's not a. It's very clear, and it and it moves, and everything fits together. But it does bring in so much stuff, uh, which to me is very exciting. And like you said, having all of these other spider people, these variations, to me, first of all, this is also the story that it tells, both about uh, Miles. And all of the yes. um, anybody could be behind the mask Love and that. using the the multiverse. It's it's really Spider Man is kind of the perfect character yes. for this, and it's also the perfect kind of story to tell in something that is based on comic books, specifically because because comic books and the different artists and writers who do it, there is an inherent variation in that. And in Spider Man specifically, you know, other comics have done sort of the multiverse thing mm -hmm. before. But this is semi-based, or at least inspired by a story called, um, I think also called Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon and a few mm -hmm. uh, spinoffs of that from 2014. And uh, so it was able to be, like you said, both to you and to your wife, completely accessible. Mm -hmm. And yet for nerds like me who have read all of that stuff, it still felt like it was bringing that in without uh, diminishing it or making it too watered down. Uh, which to me is, I think, it's quite a feat. It is. Here's a clip that goes to exactly what you're talking. This is a scene where uh, the two spider people that we've yet met, which include Peter B. Parker uh, and Miles, uh, venture into the backyard and into the like spider cave where they meet the additional spider people from the other uh, spider verses. Kingpin knows we're coming. We're going to be outnumbered. Don't be so sure. You might need these. You think you're the only people who thought to come here? Hey, fellas. Is, is he in black and white? Where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind, it smells like rain. Hi, guys. 
This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. I just washed my hands. That's why they're wet. No other reason. Okay. So among other voice actors there, you have John Mulaney as, what is he called? Spider-Ham? Spider-Ham. Hilarious. Peter Porker, the, the Peter portacular Spider-Ham. What was the origin of that character? That was a comic that was coming out, in I guess, 60s? when I was growing up. No, no, no. I think it was like in the uh, early 80s, or maybe it was late 70s, early 80s. <laughs> I guess they had to expand the Spider-Verse, so Peter Porker. They, yeah, they started bringing, uh, bringing them all in. Is, I hope there's a subset of comic book nerds that are only and exclusively really, really, really into Peter Porker Spider-Ham. Well, and you know, that's a whole universe. There's a Goose Rider, like Cat in America. Is this real? Yeah. Cat in America? I mean, I might be getting the name. We can look up the- uh, Cat in America. That's a thrilling concept for a superhero. Well, it's like Captain America, but a cat. Oh, Cat in America. I get it. Uh, let's see. Who are some of the- <laughs> who are some of the It took me a while to get Cat in America. I was. I don't even because you know a lot of so they're basically here they're basically the animalized versions of the superheroes that you already in, know. In the love. same way that Spider Ham okay. is. Well, anyway, not to get too off track, Nick Cage obviously as Spider Noir, mm-hmm. um, and who else am I missing? Uh, whatever the name of the uh, that I thought was Spider Man, the the young girl with her sort of mech. Oh robot. yeah, she was great. Um, her name is. Her name. Penny, she's Penny Parker. I don't know the name of the. Uh, well, Haley Steinfeld is Spider Gwen. Spider Gwen, yep. Um, Catherine Hahn is Doc Ock. Brilliant. Yeah. Hilarious. John Mulaney is Spider Ham. Kimiko Glenn uh, plays the uh, Japanese anime spider person who is. She fights and travels in a robot suit made by her father. And she, I don't believe, was bitten by the spider, but has, like, the spider as a pet. Uh-huh. Like, the yep. spider is, like, rides on her shoulder or something. Um, other characters, other great voice actors, Jake Johnson um, as Peter him. B. Parker. Yep. Uh, Chris Pine is Peter Parker, who we see briefly in the beginning of the film. Very funny. Turn. Yep. Um, and Brian Tyree Henry from Widows. And, and Atlanta. And Atlanta plays Miles's dad. And Mahershala Ali from our forthcoming Green Book podcast plays his rogue uncle. Don't say anything. Yep. Uh, and Lee Schreiber does a great turn as Kingpin. Um, and, you know, Doc Ock was played by uh, Alfred Molina or by- In Spider-Man 2. In Spider-Man yeah. 2. I, I so much, per- this is just an example where like villains like that are so much more interesting, believable, and- like fearsome in an animated version than they are in what's become of like actual filmmaking. Right. Another A.O. Scott quote about that. He said, in large scale live action filmmaking, digital effects have lost much of their luster, serving less as tools for innovation than as shortcuts to bombast. Yeah. Couldn't have said it better about most any Marvel movie. Um, anyway, top notch cast. I thought the characterizations were so good in this. So interesting. Um, and of course I have to mention Miles Morales, which I have to get to the IMDb. Shamik Moore. Shamik Moore. Fantastic, fantastic, uh, performance yeah. as Miles Morales in this. Um, he was in other films like Dope, The Get Down. Uh, yep. Um, so he, he did a great job. I thought that the, the characterizations and the style of animation really lent itself to something above the ordinary in terms of caring about the characters 
and their physicality and the way that they moved um, was was a very good close match. And also Lily Tomlin. As Aunt May, yeah. As Aunt May is great. She was great. Going to the characterization, I mean, yeah. I think, again, something that I didn't think would work as well as it did was the fact that they're all variations on the theme and variations uh, – of their stories, you know, they have yeah. certain parts that will always happen, some kind of tragedy. Somebody close to them dies in order to make them be spider person, mm-hmm. uh, one variation or another. Uh, that actually, in in a comic book situation and in something like this, it does create such a great shorthand. And then you, the way that that becomes uh, whatever the, the spider person ends mm-hmm. up being is says so much about who the character is. So it, it sort of plays both with the uh, the Spider-Man archetype, <clears throat> but also the uh, whatever other style or, or yeah. um, that is being thrown the genre, into it, yeah. whatever genre is being thrown onto it. It also opens up a tantalizing universe in which Nick Cage does not appear in overacted, horrible, ham-fisted films, but instead does fantastic voice work yeah. in a wide variety of animated films. Totally on board for that. Um I did want him to have a few better lines. I, 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 I thought it could be a little more Nick Cage-ish after just saying what I just said, but I was almost sort of always kind of like, oh my God, it's Nick Cage and I'm going to get some great Nick Cage stuff here. He was very true to his character in the movie and it was funny, this noirish spider person who's right. always fighting Nazis and not taking any lip and speaking in a certain <laughs> funny way. It's very good. Um, so I thought the cast was fantastic. Um, but yeah, funny, you know, for the way that the movie is sold as being about all of these yes. things, they actually don't appear until actually a pretty, yeah, about almost uh, halfway through Almost the halfway movie. through, yeah. Uh, which, I, you know, again, I didn't realize until sort of preparing for this that, you know, the bulk of it is is Miles. Yes. And then Miles and Peter this B. broken down Peter yeah. B. Uh, which is another interesting thing about animation is that like, Jake, Jake Johnson from New Girl, he's never going to be cast in a superhero movie, a live action superhero movie as a Spider-Man. Right. But his voice and his comedic chops are so perfectly right for a character that he would not be visually right for. And right. that's something that the movie takes advantage of to a great deal. He's really funny, kind of the broken down Spider-Man vein, always making excuses for his doughy middle. And yet at the same time, he is still um, hero enough yes. underneath. You know, like that that yeah. stuff does get reawakened. And the and poignance that he brings. Yeah. It's a real poignance. I mean, the movie gets, I don't want to say it gets heavy, but I mean, the message portion of it and the journey that Miles goes on, um, there's some real stuff too. Like the movie doesn't shy away from an emotional center that I think is as impressive as the comedic surroundings, right. which are really hard to get right. But they got the comedy right, but I also think they got the heart right too. Right. And again, that's another reason why why Spider-Man was sort of the perfect character for yes. this. Because uh, one of the recurring themes or sort of the recurring lines is it could be anyone behind that mask. That it could have been anyone. Or as mm-hmm. uh, MJ puts it in Spider-Man A's funeral, right? The yes. Chris Pine Spider-Man's funeral. Spoiler. Uh, he oh, great. <laughs> now you did it. Um, but as she puts it, like, it could have been anybody that got bit by the spider. It just sort of happened to be me. Yes. And that was when Spider-Man came out in, in 1963. That was the thing that made him different. so different from everybody else. Like, the hero yes. who could be you. And yeah. it's appropriate that 50, 60, 200 years later, that that same theme would be uh, very relevant again today mm. in especially you know with with what's going on in the in the culture and the sort of strained race relations and and representation being such a an important cultural um, yeah. topic 
full cast and crew is brought to you by Out of Jack's Mind, a new comedy short video series from Jack Plotnick, co-writer and director of the Sony Pictures feature film Space Station 76, and current recurring guest on Grace and Frankie and Z Nation. Out of Jack's Mind, like and follow at Chuckler Comedy on Facebook or Chuckler.com. Chuckler, original comedy delivered daily. Well, the great thing about the representation in this movie, to use a very 2018-2019 phrase, which the movie will be appropriately praised for, um, it does it without hammering you over the head with it, and it does it in the best of all manners, which is, it just is. Mm -hmm. Miles Morales is just a kid of mixed-race parentage living in an outer borough of New York City. It's not, like, it just is, and it's presented confidently. Um, and it's a part of the Spider-Man kind of story that we all know where this is kind of foisted upon him and he has to learn how to become Spider-Man through the course of the movie. Going back to kind of the animation style, I don't know enough about animation to know the particulars of what I'm about to say, but I've never let that stop me in the past. (laughs) I read a thing in the New York Times that was about how they approach the technology of the movie. And in this article, it says they decided to break with kind of the way most movies like this are made. Usually, the movements of the characters are created by advancing the image, say a character raising his arm, in each frame 24 times a second. And they call that animating on ones. Do you know anything about this? No. So it says the resulting motion is fluid and smooth, but it can look too regular, even stolid. Now, what these guys decided to do was make or shift the image every second frame. And in doing it on the twos, it apparently gave them more control over the speed and the power of the movements. And it said that much of the animation in classic Disney and Warner Brothers cartoons that we grew up on was done on the twos, not Mm -hmm. on the ones. Now, this is where it gets into this connection that I was talking about. So one of the filmmakers, and his name is Persichetti, he had worked at Disney with Glenn Keane, who's like the oldest of the old school original Disney animators, I guess. And Glenn Keane worked on characters or drew characters like Aladdin, Beast, and Tarzan. This guy working on Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse worked with this guy, and he wanted to borrow those aspects of the hand-drawn technique. And I guess that's what they did on the twos. So if you're drawing everything by hand, you're not going to draw 24 frames for every second. You're going to do, I guess, 12? Well, I was about to say, which counterintuitively sounds like it would give you less... Yes. Uh, control. Well, they did both. What ended up happening was it gave them control. So for example, I'll read you the paragraph. Working on ones and twos let the artist vary the rhythms of the character movements. When a scared Miles dashes through a snowy forest, his run is animated on the ones to emphasize his speed. When he stumbles and falls, he rises on twos as he slowly pushes against gravity to get back on his feet. And when he leaps from skyscraper to skyscraper, the animation crackles with an energy it might otherwise lack. The motions themselves become exciting to watch. Without knowing what the hell was going on, because that's pretty technical, when I did watch it, it, there was a lot of variation in the character movement that I now understand why it is that way. Yeah. And this is where they said that if it looks and feels like something from an animated film, we don't want it in our movie. Imagine having the wherewithal to stay true to something as grandiose as that when you're making a movie that has to have all of the attendant pressure on it from not only Marvel and the studio and Sony and all these kinds of things. It's not like you can just do whatever the heck you want. But I think the ways that they figured out how to do something original are, are just really what 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 make this something that I think really anyone should see just yeah. because if you like storytelling of any kind, 
it's a really fascinating movie. And if you use or take recreational drugs, I personally don't. So I can't speak to that. All I can do is put myself back in time to my teenage, okay, 20s, (laughs) mid 30s. Boy, if there ever was a movie to go and experience, this would definitely be it. It is beautiful. It's mind blowing. Uh, And and the psychedelic parts are like, dude. And the thing about the psychedelic parts, though, is we're all grounded in the story, and it's the kind of story that it's telling. I wonder how much technology has changed animation and made this possible, because there have been other animated films in the past that have attempted to have a more particular style Mm -hmm. that mimicked um, a comic book thing. Sure. Um, There was an adaptation of uh, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight, All-Star Superman, Batman Gotham Knight, which was an anime-inspired thing. There have been a comic book style in a lot of the Marvel movies. Or what about the heavy one with Mickey Rourke in black and white, the Frank Miller live action? Sin City, I didn't even think of it. Sin City, yeah. I felt like I was in a comic book with the the freedom of a comic book. Externalizing the voiceover. I think there are some sound effects you actually see on the screen. The Spidey sense, I love that. All of that stuff, uh, it worked because it all makes perfect sense. technology makes that possible. But I I think also the imagination of these guys to say, let's not do what everyone else does. That's why I so much more enjoy this than going to see like an Avengers movie in live action. This is the closest comic book quote unquote movie I've ever seen that gives you the visceral thrill of leafing through a 1986 classic, you know, Mm -hmm. Marvel comic book with the smell and the ink and the old fashioned ads and the experience of like looking at every page, every frame. This movie is like that. The colors, because it even has some of that dotted bleed over. And I was reading that they did want it to have a comic book feel. When you're looking at sort of, I guess, what is probably a pretty cheaply printed comic book, you would see that layer where the colors were kind of not exactly on frame. Uh, I read also that doing it the way they did, the blur of that, a lot of the blur is like that anti-motion plus setting on your TV Mm -hmm. is to eliminate rapidity and the blurring of that. But they left that kind of in. And that really contributed such a cool style to the movie. There's another cool thing that Sony did. They put the screenplay online for anyone to read. Yeah. And so I read about half of the screenplay until I got sucked into something else. And what was amazing is unlike most screenplays that you read, where the screenplay is the thing that gives you the sense of what the film is going to be and look like, this screenplay doesn't give you any sense of that at all. And in fact, reads it reads funny because the lines are funny, but it just shows how much more you have to work with in an animated film than you do mm-hmm. a live action film. Because at least half of what makes this so fascinating to jump into as a universe is the look and the stuff that you can't ever describe on the page. Yeah. Writing credits, Phil Lord, screenplay by and Rodney Rothman, and the story by Phil Lord. Uh, Directed by Bob Persichetti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman. I mean, I can't say enough about it. I really just, I had fun. You know what I mean? And this is like, God, let's have some fun at the movies, Chris. My distrust of fun is is well documented. <laughs> no, well, I I often find that a lot of times when, especially you know, chin scratchers and other podcasts or the New York Times describe something as fun, my experience of it then tends to be a shallow piece of joyless dreck that simply asks nothing. Sure, but I think that you talk about how free it feels, mm-hmm. which especially with animation, so much work goes into everything. I think um, in reading one of the articles, it said it took them like a year to get 10 seconds of good animated footage that they liked. Really? To then become like a template, right. but to sort of Sorry, find I'm that style. Let me stop this. 
What are you doing, bud? I can't move. Yeah. Okay, relax your fingers. We don't have. I don't know time. how I did just, this. Just let go. Be in the moment. I am. Make in the it moment. stop, it's Chris. A terrible moment. They're right there. They're gonna see you. Miles, you gotta unstick. What do you do to relax? Relax. Needless to say, I. Oh, for crying out loud. Calling it Chris now, baby. I'm a You're Teenagers, just the worst. Miles, where did you go? I'm right here. Where? I can't see you. I'm right in front of you. Can Spider-Man turn invisible? Not in my universe. <laughs> you just poked me in my eye. This is incredible. Some kind of fight or flight thing. What's that? Oh. Act super normal. Selecting a bagel. Spider-Man? You know, that's funny. I get that a lot. Hey. So I stepped on the clip, but that's a very funny clip of Peter B. Parker and Miles infiltrating the Alchemex, Alchemex evil corporate headquarters. And Miles is still not up to speed on the use of his spider powers. And Peter B. Parker is giving him some hilarious lessons. It's it's cliche to say that like young adult fiction or comic stuff that gaining these powers that it's like a puberty metaphor. Yes. But they really wrote it so well. And then have to have the um allusions to a comic book where somebody else had already gone yeah. through it. There's not only the running gag of the different spider spider people telling their story, but in the universe that Miles lives in, there are comic books. Uh, right. And he sees literally what he had just done playing out in an issue with Peter Parker. And to me, that seemed like a, such it's a great- meta, man. It, well, but a great piece of it, especially for something about puberty where you yeah. feel like you're alone, you feel like the only one, and you realize, of course, your dad went through it too. Yeah. Everybody has gone through it, which I thought was was a great observation. To your point, I'll play a clip without stepping on it. This is one of the intro segments which each character gets. Their boiled down origin story. Right. This is the Peter B. Parker one. For the last 22 years, I thought I was the one and only Spider-Man. I'm pretty sure you know the rest. You see, I saved the city, fell in love. I saved the city some more, maybe too much. Then like 15 years passed, blah, blah, blah. I buried Aunt May, my wife and I split up, but I handled it like a champ. Flash forward, I'm in my apartment doing push-ups, doing ab crunches, getting strong. When this weird thing happened, and I gotta say, weird things happen to me a lot, but this was real weird. So what they do so well there is the juxtaposition between what he's saying and what we're seeing, right. which is he's not doing crunches. He's eating pizza, lying in bed, and growing a five o'clock shadow. Um, so Chris, is this the best Spider-Man movie ever made? Oh, that is tough, because you were talking about uh, Spider-Man 2. Like I said, I have my own bias about uh, live action. Part of the joy for me of seeing like superhero adaptations or comic book adaptations put to film is how do you make something that is so kind of crazy? How do you bring it into the real world. So I'm, I'm still a little bit biased uh, towards the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man 2. So you think Spider-Man 2 is the greatest Spider-Man movie ever made? For I mean, you. it's a toss-up. Yeah, I think so. Hmm, interesting. I mean, I love those movies. Yeah. However, I think that this movie convinced me that I would be the opposite of your take, which is, for me, uh, the, the 
putting on of the costumes, the famous actors on screen, that, that takes me out of the joy of being in a comic book in a way that just doesn't work for me personally. Yeah. Except when it's something like Venom, to a lesser extent, Ant-Man, some of the more fringe Marvel movies mm-hmm. that have more freedom to be whimsical and funny and smart and profane. All the big tentpole ones, aside from those two Sam Raimi movies. Mm-hmm. Um, And I didn't see the more recent one, which got really praised. It sounded like I would like it, the new Mm Spider-Man. However, good segue, Chris. Thank you for not knowing you were contributing this segue. Um, To your point, or rather to devastate and refute your point through the playing of media, I'm going to posit to you. So the basic story is that Sony has two Spider-Man movies coming out in the near future. They had this one. And then they have, uh, what's it called? Spider-Man Homecoming? No, Homecoming already happened. It's Far From Home. Far From Home. So Far From Home is the Spider-Man- to Homecoming. The sequel to Homecoming, which stars Tom Holland, who I don't know who that is. And there was a whole thing where the trailer was supposed to come out um, a while ago. And then they wisely kind of decided to give Into the Spider-Verse a little room because it was yeah. became a thing. And then apparently they just released the trailer like last night or today. Right. And so this is the live action trailer for the Spider-Man Far From Home movie. And I want you to listen with keen attention to the one-liners and compare them in terms of sure. quality to what we just watched. Planning a trip? Mm-hmm. Going to Europe. Did you get your passport? Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please. Mini toothpaste? Mm -hmm. Pack your suit. I just want to go on my trip with my friends. Europe doesn't really need a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. You look really pretty. Therefore, I have value. No, no, that's not right. I'm messing with you. (laughs) You look pretty, too. So nice to finally meet you, Spider-Man. You're Nick Fury. Put some clothes on. Let's go for a ride. Is he going to be okay like that? Might want to turn him over so he doesn't swallow his tongue. I think Nick Fury just hijacked our summer vacation. Awesome! You're all alone. Your friends are in trouble. What are you going to do about it? You don't want any part of this. Who is that guy? He's like Iron Man and Thor rolled into one. He's no Spider-Man. What is it with you and Spider-Man? What, he looks out for the neighborhood, has a dope suit, and I really respect him. Sup, dickwad? There you have it. What passes for the height of comedy in live action yeah. Superman, Spider-Man. It's just, you know, Chris, I watch that trailer. It's like, I know every, I predict every beat that's coming. No, I'm with you. Here's I, the character reveal. Here's the supposedly clever banter, which it's not. Here, oh, Nick Fury. Ooh. And then fucking Jake Gyllenhaal in some gladiator suit with green stuff coming out of his hands. That, Who the hell is that? That's Mysterio. Oh, I mean, you me wouldn't know because they didn't have the fishbowl on his head the whole time. Mysterio should never not have a fishbowl on his head. Well, I guess if you have a fishbowl, you can't see that it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Who, I guess. That, to me, Chris, that's, and it might be a very good movie, 
But like, to me, that's everything I don't like about live action superhero movies and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is everything I like. I agree with you 100%. I think that the like praise Dick that Lod Spider-Man- is not the height of comedy, Chris. As somebody who's written for children, yes, I find that really patronizing. Like all young yes. kids, like it's all that kind of sharp elbowed, like crassness, like, and it's not from a prudishness. I do think, yes, it's it's dumb and it's easily slot inable. And I think that a lot of uh, media for younger people does tend to have that sort of Mysterioso, thing. who the hell is that? It's Mysterio. Uh, and he is- Have we seen him before? Yeah, I mean, not in Has he been in life. Avengers or he's no, been in other no, things? No, no, this is the first- This is the, de- the this debut. This is the debut, yeah. Wow. So if you love Jake Gyllenhaal in that like gritty I mean, LA that, noir, uh, like paparazzi movie. Nightcrawler. <laughs> Nightcrawler. You're going to yeah, love him. based as on the Marvel comics. Mysterioso. Uh, Mysterio. And he wears uh, a, he wears a fishbowl on his head. Look him up. It's, it's like one of the coolest costumes in history. Is it? Uh, the actual, yeah, the Steve Ditko design of Mysterio. He's like uh, one of Spider-Man's earliest uh, villain, villains. 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 But I, I agree with you with what you're saying. I actually have, of all the Marvel movies, my favorite was the newest, the most overstuffed, the Infinity War. Mm-hmm. Because for me, that had, I had the same experience, like you said, with watching this. You're flipping through something and there are so many, it cuts back and mm-hmm. forth to the many scenes and the different uh, set pieces, which to me felt like a comic book. You're sort of jumping yeah. in in midstream. I, I put up on the screen what you say is the coolest. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that, that's the costume you're referring to? Coolest superhero costume ever, huh? Well, okay, first of all, it's a supervillain. Uh, super yeah, I can see. <laughs> yeah, Again, for, it's an auditory medium. I was going to say, yeah, listeners, just imagine the coolest I will put, you know, I will, I will. I always say that I'm going to put things up that I never I was put just, up. I was, I'm still wondering, what are the most iconic glasses in cinema? Yeah, or or the the, the Lance Henriksen plates, or <laughs> uh, the all these other things. But maybe this one when I when this when this <laughs> when this podcast finally goes up, yeah, is this I the will, coolest I will, costume? I will, in comic I will tweet book this as your claim that it's the coolest costume in comic book history. Oh, but <laughs> hey, wait, in the real costume, because I'm obviously showing you a homemade version yes. here. Is the real costume you don't see the face? Yeah, that's why. That's why the mysteriousness. That. So you can't have a character called Mysterio if he's not mysterious. If you see Jake Gyllenhaal's face, yeah. And by the way, when I'm looking at the real costumes, I don't see any gladiator aspect. So I don't know why. Where does that come from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is that's what everyone says to to like over. That's what every comic book person says to gloss over. Uh, shocking lapses in continuity. Well, I mean, like- <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, you're taking you know, it he has a, Right, he has a, no, he has a breastplate as opposed to the sort of skin-like, um, mm. sort of scaled skin that, that Mysterio usually has. Uh, but he does have those like corny, like lampshades on his gloves, which I think yeah. is awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, purple. And they did show him, he does wear the bowl over his head later. You know, it's just- Look, like I said, I am- I am worried that it's that it will fall into a lot of well-worn traps. I don't think you need to be worried. I think you need to be prepared, confident, <laughs> and prepared that it will do those things. Full cast and crew is brought to you by Behemoth from Monkey Brain Comics. Behemoth is the dirty dozen meets the fly with little Spider-Man thrown in. Kids are turning into monsters, and the government steps in to keep things quiet. Some are never heard from again but others are forced on suicide missions on behalf of a world that hates them as part of Project Behemoth. Find it on monkeybraincomics.com or Comixology today. Well, I, Chris, any other thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Um, or would you like to move on just to a, you know, like headlines? <laughs> uh, no, not really. I think Except we should feature more of my singing on this podcast. What do you think? 
Um, I think that's a great idea. I can try to do a mashup of uh, whatever Ooh, singing we had so do far. That. No, don't do that. No. Come on, we can put out an album just like the uh, Spider-Man Christmas album. Yikes. Oh, yeah, they do play that in the movie, don't they? Yeah. Oh, the best visual joke in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse yes. is the popsicle joke. <laughs> that brought me back to like another thing 1982. So there's a gag in the movie where Peter B. Parker is talking. I think, it, is it the Peter B. Parker? No, it's the Chris Pine yeah, Peter, uh, origin story. Peter A. Parker. The Peter A. Parker. And he's going through all the products, the Spider-Man products. <laughs> and he goes, I can't remember what the line is, but it says something like, oh, and a popsicle. And they show this popsicle that I so remember from being a kid. I can't remember if it was ice cream or if it was popsicle or what, but it's always it always like on the package had the coolest like right. detailed <laughs> Spider-Man face costume with the lines and the eyes. And then he would open this thing up and it inevitably had been glopped and melted and yeah, reformed. <laughs> because it was it there was from brilliant. the summer prior. You it know, they turn off yeah. the uh, freezer. That's what I'm talking about. You, you couldn't have that, you know, you couldn't make that better than it was animated in this movie. Didn't they use a um, a still picture? I, I think couldn't it tell. Was it a real picture of a real- I think it was. Cheap-ass Spider-Man popsicle? Either way, uh, it was It would be a great, great. tie-in if they actually purposely made them badly made, and released made the them. the shitty, uh, yeah, <laughs> shitty popsicles. Cool. So I, I just really encourage people to go see this movie, people with kids to go see this movie, uh, boys, girls, anything. They're all going to find something enjoyable about Absol it. Adults, yeah. it's, it's a broadly appealing, just very funny, very well put together, very watchable movie. Don't be distracted. It's funny. I, I had a friend on Facebook who had like a 10-year-old nephew or something, and she was like, I'm thinking of taking my nephew to see Green Book. And we had just done our <laughs> podcast, which will be out by the time this is out, won't it? Uh, it'll be out before this. Yeah. yeah, so you all know how we felt about the movie of Green Book. Loved so, it. So I posted in return, I said, why don't you just take him to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? And she posted something like, oh, I don't like those Marvel movies. I don't know if I want to sit through one. And I was kind of like, I know, totally get it. But this is so not that. Yes. You're really going to enjoy it. Um, so I really encourage people to go see it if you haven't. And also just support something good. This is one of the three best movies I saw in 2018. Yeah. And it I had is, the most fun watching this. And it is it is fun. Fun it's without fun. being condescending. Yes, fun without being patronizing. Smart. It is smart. It is, it's tightly constructed. And yet at the same time, it does feel very free and surprising. And it is a stellar animated cast. Uh, Amazing. Of voice actors. Uh, I couldn't think of a better segue into our headlines uh, segment than the one you just gave. About tightly compacted or whatever. <laughs> then absolutely. Please. Headlines. My first headline is uh, West Side Story. High school student cast as Maria in Spielberg remake. Have you noticed this story? I did notice the story. Spielberg famously has been looking from over 30,000 possible Marias to be cast in his remake of West Side Story. 30,000 people, Chris. Yeah. I don't know if you auditioned for Maria. I was going to have one tomorrow, so I'd been working <laughs> on a song. Well, Chris, you've been displaced by 17-year-old Rachel Zegler. Steven Spielberg was hoping to catch some of that Alfonso Cuaron publicity by doing this exhaustive search. I have a little clip of her singing the song from A Star is Born, which she posted on her Instagram in response to someone who accused her of using auto-tune. <laughs> Get it. 
she clearly is singing in a very raw environment, and this is what she sounds like. Okay, so I mean, maybe a little pitchy. Let's just say Look, she's also filming herself. But while she's filming doing herself it. while doing it. It's kind of amazing. I think they found her through YouTube videos that she was putting up of uh-huh. herself. And it just goes to show you, I keep making stuff. You never know. Yes. She obviously has the chops. I don't know who's playing whoever the boy is. In Tony, there. I think uh, I never saw West Side Story. No. So did you? <laughs> no. No. I hey, that. a bridge, yeah. a bridge <laughs> built to each other. Um, this next story doesn't require that we look at anything. This is the story about how an egg is now the most popular Instagram photo of all time. <laughs> if you followed this story. No. Um, so previously there was, I believe, a Kylie Jenner post that was the most popular Instagram post of all time. Somebody posted a picture of an egg under the account World Record Egg and said, let's set a world record together and get the most liked post on Instagram. Let's beat the current world record held by Kylie Jenner of 18 million. We got this. Hand clap sign. So as of today, it now has over 36 million likes, and it's just a picture of an egg. That's fantastic. That's the kind of pettiness that I can get behind. Kylie Jenner's got enough. She's already got the most embarrassing television commercial ever made. True. Don't let her have this as well. She also has a billion dollars. Oh, <laughs> oh and that. But it is peak 2019 that this is even a story and that it's even a thing and it's possible for this to become. Halfway through the first month of 2019, we have already (laughs) reached peak 2019. Yes. Are you aware of the phenomena sweeping the country of Marie Kondo's Netflix series? Um, We talked about it last week. Well, it's a thing. Tidying up with Marie Kondo. My life has been touched by this show. And I have to say, it really works. It's extremely helpful and it's sensible. It is inspiring. I haven't watched the show, but I'm living in an environment that's being condoed. Anyway, there's a brilliant article on comicbook.com. Do you <laughs> yeah, know this site? Go for all my uh, Marie Kondo news. Marie Kondo needs to be in your Dungeons and Dragons campaign. <laughs> And this is a hilarious article by Christian Hoffer. I know you're thinking like, I am. What? How do these two things go together? Well, he says that he and his best friends have been playing Dungeons and Dragons almost every weekend for the last 16 months. And his wife plays the rogue in the group, steadfastly looting every dead body and ruin for anything that can be put into the group's bag of holding. Every few months, she takes an evening to convert scrapped armor, useless weapons, rings of protections into gold pieces that's eventually distributed to their party. That sounds sensible. She has a massive Excel spreadsheet containing everything from those firecrackers the party looted from a goblin over a year ago to mummified monster bits that couldn't be turned into stew. The party uh, appreciate her commitment to acting as the party's quartermaster, and they rarely question her methodical pursuit of maximizing the party's wealth by collecting junk. However, (laughs) he then goes on to say, why not use... Marie Kondo and her decluttering philosophy in your Dungeons and Dragons campaign as a divine entity who encourages players to use all the cool stuff they find. Because I think a big part of the Marie Kondo philosophy is like, does this give me joy? Right. She visibly brightens up and hugs like a sweater. That's the test. If you see an object in your home, do you have that reaction to it? If you don't, Get rid of it. I was actually just thinking literally about like a chair that I just bought. It's like, yes, that's a great point. Why did you buy it? Because if it I didn't give a you a place to sit down. No, but why didn't you buy one that gave you joy? Imagine a room where every object in that room gives you joy. Yeah. Your life would be better. Because I guess I don't only thought about it in terms of just the right. idea of decluttering. Throw yeah. everything out. Yes. You know. But when you put it that way, I actually do like the chair that I was thinking yeah. of because I was like, it's red. You know, I wanted a cheap chair to sort of have yeah. it. And the fact that it was red, I was like, this makes it a little bit more fun. And and so I guess, yeah, I think I was thinking of joy as a much higher bar. Yes. When you put it that way, if you have to have 
a thing. Yes. You might as well have the one that gives you the most joy. Well, uh, that makes sense. This guy goes on to say that if you've played a role-playing game like Dungeons and Dragons, you've probably hoarded a ton of items that you'll never use. As a dungeon master, he can't tell how many times he's watched cool items like a vial of blood that turns into a simulacrum of a demon lord or a magic rapier made out of the leg bones of Jack Skellington go into a bag of holding only never to see the light of day again. So Kondo and her Marie method sinks into Dungeons and Dragons quite easily. Worshipping at the altar of Marie Kondo only requires a player to follow the ideal of does it spark joy? So you can create an entire character built around the concept of finding joy and simplicity and order, which also acts as a great foil for the usual D&D party of chaotic, neutral murder hobos who steal anything that isn't nailed to the floor. Right. On my next campaign, my paladin will not be picking up just any old zombified bone. Now, despite humanity's ability to contribute great moments of joy, as we've just described, we're also still human and we can also become a blotch and taint upon the earth. As evidenced by the BBC News story, Africa by Toto to play on Eternal Loop in Africa. Have you seen this story? (laughs) No. So you're familiar that Toto has the song Africa, which is a great song. I love the song. But it's become a thing. And now Namibian artist Max Seidentopf has set up a sound installation in the coastal Namib desert to play the song on a loop in an undisclosed location for eternity. (laughs) So just imagine that you are in the Namibian desert and you are enjoying the unique and awe-inspiring presence of the desert environment, the the vastness. It's like an ocean that you're standing on that goes as far as the eye can see. And there's a purity to it. There's an intense humanity mingled with the sense of planetary wonder. Right. And then all of a sudden you're like, what what am I hearing? Is that Africa by Toto? And then that thus ruins the entire experience. But Jason, I think you're discounting the importance of surprise. Look, I want to listen to this song, but right. I don't no, want to listen to it on like my vision quest in the Namibian desert. I do hear that though, I suppose. Like if you do start hearing the strains of it, you, you just go a few feet in the opposite direction until you can't hear it anymore. Yeah, but, but it's there. And the fact that it's there ruins the experience forever because it's humanity putting its messy footprint on the unspoilt dignity of a natural environment. Sure. In the 55 million year old Namib desert, to walk up to an installation with six speakers attached to an MP3 player playing (laughs) this song on endless repeat. (sighs) To quote the artist, some Namibians love it. And some say it's probably the worst sound installation (laughs) ever. And, you know, listen, sound installations. That's a particular, that's like the one man show of installations. I was about to say, exactly. You are asking for trouble. Like you're, you. It's my sound installation. Okay. My final story for you. Hugh Grant asks the internet for help after a script was stolen from his car. I, uh, I saw that headline and, you know, I laughed. Did you chuckle? Yeah. Because when you hear Hugh Grant in a car. (laughs) I didn't even think of it. Oh, you weren't? Okay. I guess I just like the idea of like, hey, everybody. Could I, like, I lost my keys. Can somebody just keep an eye out for <laughs> Well, I'll try and do a little Hugh Grant here as I read his tweet, because it's kind of funny to think of the bumbling Hugh Grant uh, syntax. Yes. Hugh Grant. In the uh, <clears throat> unlikely chance that anyone knows who broke into my car tonight and stole my bag, uh, p- please tr- try and persuade them to uh, at least return my script. Many weeks worth of notes and ideas and perhaps my children's medical cards. <laughs> Coach Films, Ealing, St. Mary's Ealing Green, W5, 5EN. That's like 
English people speaking like, and they know what that means to each other. I don't it's know what that is. It's a weird kind of address, yeah. Is that an address? Is that I, a postcode? It makes it tough to send them postcards. In the uh, unlikely chance that anyone knows who broke into my car tonight. Anyway, that was his tweet. Poor Hugh, he lost a script, which, you know, that's a big deal. Script security. In fact, in Spider-Man, I don't know if you read this, they didn't even give the actors the whole script, which is even more For amazing. Spider-Verse? No. No kidding. No, they would only give them their dialogue. They really had no sense of the whole because they weren't given all of the pieces because the security was insane. Another callback to Roma, right? Because I believe uh, that's Roma, right. uh, they, yeah. he did he didn't the give same. It, yeah. So basically, don't give anybody anything, Chris. I oh, think that's well, what you're that's supposed to. <laughs> I think that's what I'm supposed to take away from that story. If you're saying that I should be more withholding, those are a few of the entertainment headlines. Headlines. <laughs> Matt, don't don't swap it. Don't no, swap it no, out. Matt's is so much better. No. <laughs> and also, Matt, I'm I'm anticipating that Matt has already answered my query in last the last taped episode about whether he played the guitar riff. For, oh, yes. is the viewer mail guitar riff? No, I think it's uh, Rants, Rants and Raves. raves. Uh, I don't have any Rants and Raves. Do you have any Rants and Raves this week? Well, yes, actually. I wanted to, no rants. Uh, I wanted to rave about the uh, Hilma off Clint exhibit what? at the Guggenheim, but I didn't go see it, so I can't. Um, you wanted to rave about the Klimt exhibit? Clint. Clint not to be Eastwood? Con- not to be confused with Gustav, uh, Gustav Klimt? Klimt. Clint. This is... Uh, Hilma off Clint, uh, but I did see this movie Shirkers, which is a documentary uh, yes. about the a lost second movie, right? Independent film that was filmed in Singapore in 1989 to 92, uh, and then the footage was stolen, right? And then uh, got it back. And actually, the documentary it's it's and it has a beautiful. compelling story where it's like a female filmmaker had sort of a male Svengali or producer who sort of like she was had involved taken in a did film he, did class. Did he take the footage? He, yeah. yeah. And uh, they go into a little bit sort of whatever his motivations were. But actually, the strongest part of the movie was sort of her and her friends reflecting on the process of mm. filming and uh, and also thinking about Singapore, which is a very different country mm-hmm. now than it was in 92 mm-hmm. when they finished the filming. So that was that was an excellent So wait, you were trying film. to go to the Hooger Gigografer exhibit? The Guggenheim, and then the Guggenheim for the off-Clint. So uh, yes, it was like, just too, it was late. I was, edi- frankly, I was editing the Bird Box episode. Ah. And I wasn't done until late enough in the day. I was like, well, I don't have time to go. Well, at least you were contributing a worthy artifact to the (laughs) culture. (laughs) Listen, yeah. And this movie brings Is that why you got wrong which episode we were going to be premiering this week? No, because I- I mean, I don't want to bring up any difficult topics, but let's be real. This is where we talk about these things. Sure. And- um, I thought the reason was- We were pretty clear. I thought we had a conversation last week. Maybe it's even on tape. Not that it would see the light of day if it was. was to, yeah, certainly not. If I were you, I would wrong. definitely erase it but <laughs> if, if I found it. But the way I we did it. say, we taped Bird Box and then we taped Green Book in the same week. Right. And we had a conversation at the end of the taping of Green Book where we said, now, which one are we going to release next week? And I think I said, well, you know what? Green Book, this was right after the Golden Globes. It was right when Peter Farrelly waving his dick around and when Nick Vallelongus was witnessing phantom Muslims cheering in Jersey City. The tweet City. had just, the tweet had just come went. out. So I thought, this is going to continue to be a thing. Let's go with Green Book, which would have been this Thursday. Right. Then come to find out, Chris sends me an email yesterday. And he says, all right, got the bird box all ready to go. Luckily, some teens crashed a car doing the bird box challenge. So there is some relevance. <laughs> but wait a second. Uh, the exact same reasoning is like bird box, whatever relevance is going to have is, is now. its shelf life. It's true. Is true. one more week will make or break it. So we might as well it's get true. it out now. It's, it's, Whereas Green Book not only did uh, 
yeah. Villalonga um, make his apology a couple days ago, people are going to still be talking about it through Oscar time. And it won more awards at the something or other the other night. Boy, yeah, I'm I'm getting seasick with the uh, green books. Like it's up, it's down. It's uh, up, it's down. It's here, it's there. It's, it's yeah. a lot. It's um, well, look, Chris, whatever episode you've managed to get up for this week, we will all enjoy. And by the time anyone's listening to this, they'll have heard both. It is funny though when you step into the world of all these movies, especially at Oscar season. It's like, man, the culture moves so fast that you can't even remember that you recorded an entire conversation about it because nobody went to see it. Yeah. I will say I am impressed. Viewers will remember my ungenerous rant against the wife and Glenn Close's win at the Golden Globes, which may be well-deserved for all I know. I don't know. I haven't seen the movie, nor have you. However, at the Critics' Choice Awards, she tied with Lady Gaga. So I was upset because Lady Gaga didn't win for A Star Is Born. And Glenn Close won for a movie no one has seen. But Everyone the list- rant was on a podcast that apparently somebody heard. Well, anyone listening to this, I, I defy you to, this is like no one doesn't like pizza who's not allergic to cheese. You, the listeners, please email us, tweet us, add us, whatever you have to do. If you yourself or if you know anyone who has seen The Wife, please at me. I want to know who you are. So anyway, oh, you can mail us a letter to mail wherever, mail, snail mail. wherever you're mailing to Hugh Grant's 5EN Northwest 225. <laughs> They tied. I don't know how that's, how does that happen? Neither critic cared enough. I will say this. You know, I love Lady Gaga. I love A Star is Born. Okay, look, if you're an actor and you win an Academy Award, I think that has real stakes for your career. And I could understand being consumed with emotion. You win the Critics' Choice? I'm sorry, (laughs) let me back up. You tie the Critics' Choice. She was reduced to a blubbering pile of tears. Lady Gaga was? Yes. I mean, well, look, I, this is what I think with actors, Chris. I wish that they could just put these things into some context. Well, with, with all due I respect. Understand I understand you don't get a lot of like, um, what's the word? Approbation. You don't get a lot of affirmation as Affir- an actor. Affirmation. So anytime someone is saying. Love, caring, hey, anything like you that. You did a great job on that. I understand that the, the, the profession like can beat you down so much that it's like you would burst into tears if anyone's saying like, hey, you did a good job. But Lady Gaga, perhaps what made her so successful as a performer and singer might be that thin skinnedness or that that having the emotions so close Having the emotions so close, yes, you're right. And we would hate to lose that. We would, you're right. We need that. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just, I noted it. And I always (laughs) note it at these award shows in my mind, there's like a hierarchy of the awards yes. and when you can lose your shit or not. <laughs> right. And like right? you said, the Oscars, I think everybody would be starstruck at the Oscars. Look, if you, win, you won an Oscar for best actor, best actress, that's a big fucking deal. At the, you know, Even though I think it's ridiculous, it's a big deal. MTV Kids Choice. Yeah, you cannot thing, you cry know. at that. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't cry at the Golden Globes. <laughs> You can't cry at the Critics' Choice. I, I said, I posted this the other day. I don't know when the BAFTAs are. I've never watched the BAFTAs, but I, I'm hoping that it's available to watch in the United States of America. I think they're like every two weeks because I keep seeing headlines about somebody winning a BAFTA all no, year round. the nominations just came out. I bet you no one cries at the BAFTAs. I bet they all have cheeky good humor. And then, oh gosh, I know it's ridiculous to be nominated, <laughs> but I, mean, I just want to say something witty and clever and everything that everyone here, we can all feel that I, of course, have this in a proper perspective. I don't think too much of myself, nor the film that I was in, and it's all just a, a grand lark and a joy. That's a British award show. I have a prediction for uh, two BAFTAs from now. Yeah. Um, when David Thewlis is up at the awards, well, uh, you know, my life has really been changed and I've never been happier that I stole that bag out of Hugh Grant's car. Thank you very much. That was a good David Thewlis. Thank Wait, you. weirdly, are you in my life? Have you planted cameras? 
I watched a David you Thewlis. You can't prove anything. I watched a David Thewlis thing last night, an inspector calls. Uh, no, you know what it is? I've been watching Big Mouth on Netflix and he oh. he appears. So he's, he probably will be at the BAFTAs winning for this. And I guarantee he's not going to cry. <laughs> okay? There's no crying in There's no, no crying, crying in, in theater. The Brits don't cry. Have well, you been to they England? cry in the bathroom when nobody's looking. Do they? I assume. No, so man, they keep it inside. Okay? Maybe. They're keeping it inside. Uh, well, which is where all emotions should be kept, Chris, <laughs> as you well know. Uh, well, if, unless you have a quote you'd like to go out on, I did pick one that I think is very appropriate. Because I trust you, Chris. We, uh, because with, Ed, Ed, <laughs> I mean, again, here are me, here, one of the great things about me giving you my trust and then you botching it. I forgot the name of the movie we talked about. We had, we had ranged so widely. The movie we just talked about? Yeah. You forgot what it was. I forgot the exact name. I was going to call it, it Edge is a little of Spider-Verse. But. Yeah. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. But one of the wonderful things which we touched on is, of course, that Miles Morales, a black Latinx lead, is Spider-Man. And uh, it's exciting to see the comic book world being much more inclusive. And in that vein... If you hang on to the past, you die a little every day. And for myself... I know I'd rather live the end. Okay. As long as you include this part right now, which is me saying that Chris and I had a long discussion <laughs> about using the remake of Cape Fear, which I'm not against, but I'm a loyalist to the original. Sure. Well, I find it more menacing and creepy. But, but does it have played, as good of a last line? That I don't know. That actually, I don't, does it have the same last line? I don't know. I haven't seen the original. Shocker. Bang your head against the walls. Count the years, the months, the hours, until the day you rot. Thanks for listening to Full Cast and Crew. I uh, just wanted to remind everyone to subscribe if you haven't already, so you'll get a new episode every Thursday. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. So email us at fullcastandcrewpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at fullcastandcrew, or find us on Facebook.